How should we pray? How do we honor God's name with our lives? What does it mean to pray your kingdom come? And where does God's will fit into our prayers? Chris and Murdoch try to tackle these questions and more on this episode of Your Church Friends. All right, welcome back to another episode of Your Church Friends podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Murdoch. And we are here with prayer. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, prayer's fantastic. Prayer. How's your prayer life? Um, It happens. It's good. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. Um, I, didn't we just go through don't be like the hypocrites and make a show out? So yeah. how is it? It's good. It's I do good. it in secret. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like uh, before we even get into it, uh, I mean, there's some ideas with prayer uh, that, I, that we'll touch on, especially as Jesus here starts off with, then this is how you should pray. But I, I've found in my own life and experience that praying gets harder the longer the longer I'm a Christian. That's interesting. What do you mean? Like, you know, when you're first in a relationship, you want to talk to someone all the time. You want to like, just know what's going on and you'll just talk for hours endlessly. Like, I feel like in my Christian life, that was the same thing, right? Like where I talked to God so much. And then as life goes on and conversations are a little bit less, I know a lot more about the person already. So I don't talk to them as much. So I, I kind of feel like, prayer is almost the same way my relationship with God has become the same thing where like it gets harder for me sometimes to sit there and have time to talk with him like uh, think about it in any other relationship like for me I've done this I fell asleep while I was praying <laughs> you know in any other relationship you fall asleep on someone while while you're talking to them that's they get upset or even distracted like I've I found myself you know like I'm praying and all of a sudden I think oh I've got to do this and I do that in the middle of it or I've done it where like sometimes I want to listen to worship music while I pray when I was driving to work. And, and then, you fell asleep when you were driving? No, then I fell asleep when I was driving. No, I... Uh, <laughs> you closed your eyes like, not right now, Chris. <laughs> no, I got more distracted by the than the song. And then all of a sudden I'm singing instead of praying. So I, I guess in, in some sense for me, the idea that like prayer does get harder because I think it's more on my end of the relationship. Mm. See, I always thought that falling asleep on someone is not the cute thing. Like, oh, stay on the phone while I fall asleep. No, no, it's just rude. <laughs> <laughs> Not if I did that to Justine, no. Uh, or just stay on the phone. I don't know, something like that happens. No, I get what you're saying. But at the same time, you're saying like there's so much conversation, but it is so surface level. And that when it does come to it takes intentionality and effort to go beneath that because it's not just an easy pick it up type of a thing. But there's also such a great benefit to having deeper conversations. Like, I get what you mean. There's not that same kind of conversation. But with Delilah and I, like, we'll just get into deep conversations. And they're not the kind of thing that you just have in passing. But then I also feel like that's the thing where as your Christian life, as you as you grow, there's a lot of people that go and they just kind of stay within the realm of, oh, no, I just pray to God all the time. I was like, yeah, OK, what do you mean by that? Right. And what they mean by that is they never actually set aside time in their day to pray. And it's like, well, what do you mean by all the time? It's like, I just tell them everything that's going on. And I think that as we get into this section, mm-hmm. we'll probably be able to pull apart that having a more intentional, in-depth conversation with God, it's definitely a different thing than just, oh, I tell him everything that's happening. Right. Not that we shouldn't do that, but... Right. Uh, so I, here we are, the Lord's Prayer. And I just want to start off that way because I, I think it's important, like people listening to us should know, like, hey, we're two guys and, you know whether we struggle with prayer or not, like it, it is a, I think one of the harder things for us as Christians to consistently do. 
And I know a lot of people that struggle with it. Uh, reading your Bible seems almost easier because you're just reading something, but actually having that communication does make it a little harder. But uh, the Lord's Prayer, or uh, I read it this way, that they uh, some people should call they said calling it the Disciples' Prayer would be more accurate because uh, Jesus didn't give this prayer to be like memorized or recited. He gave it to us uh, to keep prayer like from vain repetition. So I, it's cool that we just got done talking about don't babble on like so-and-so and so-and-so, and then Jesus says, then this is how you should pray. And it's not like, hey, say this all the time, but this is a kind of like, here's a structure almost of how prayer should work and look like. Well, it's interesting that you call it, when you're saying calling it the disciples' prayer, because in the parallel passage in Luke, Luke 11, it's the first through, first few verses, it says, one day in a place where Jesus had just finished praying, one of his disciples requested, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus told them and then gets into, you know, the parallel passage. So it's kind of a request that I think it's interesting. Disciples see Jesus praying and they go, hey, can you teach us to do that? Because John taught his disciples and we want to learn from you how to do what you're doing. So yeah, yeah it is a teaching moment. And I think it's an important teaching moment because of the the idea of what prayer is, really the concept like prayer is like the driving engine of who we are as Christians and even the church, like it's the engine of the church is praying. If we're on our knees and praying, like we could see God do so much and accomplish so much more. Like we're as a church looking at prayer with Elijah. Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting, yeah, which we'll get into next week, the fasting side of it. But the whole idea of prayer, it's just like this is what we are about our communication line with God. And it does say a lot about it. I think, you know, kind of what I mentioned, I I think just the idea of when Jesus says, this is how you should pray, or even the disciples asking it, it may give us the idea that we may not know how to pray properly sometimes, you know, with that, we kind of just come to God. And instead of praying, we're venting most of the time. And uh, I like how the Lord's prayer is broken down into three parts. There's adoration, admitting, and then asking. And I think it starts with the the admiration, the, that kind of exalting who God is. Yeah, and I think that even being able to pull that out and coming to sometimes we don't know how to pray. Jesus right here, he's talking to other Jews who already know that God is real and exists and they already have a thing of prayer life. You know, this has been going on since since Abraham, right? So since the beginning, really. But just this concept of coming to God and in the adoration, in the communication with God and all of that. And here Jesus is teaching Jewish people how to pray. How much more so that us who aren't Jews are even living in a society to where, oh, I'm coming from being an atheist. Oh, that means you've never prayed? It's like, we shouldn't assume that just, oh, this should be an easy thing. You should just be able to pick up on it. Like, what does it mean to actually come into the presence Mm -hmm. of a living God and communicate with him. So yeah, to be able to get here from the Messiah, here's how you pray. And I like those three, what did you say they were? There are three A's, right? Uh, admiration, admitting, and asking. Admiration, admitting, and asking. Yeah, I like that. And maybe we should get into it. That way people have yeah, a that's place what to I was hang say. all of this. <laughs> we're talking about it. Uh, so do you want to read it, the passage, and then we'll go uh, a little bit more into it? Sure. So this is picking up in Matthew 6, verse 9 and following. So then, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
For if you forgive men of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men of their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. And that little part about forgiving of the trespasses, the way that my Bible is broken down doesn't technically fall under the prayer, but we're right. going to be addressing it, so I figured I'd throw it in there. Yeah, it's the same thing with mine. It, it kind of starts with the deliver us from the evil one. Right. And then some even have a that extra added part. It, what is it? The For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory. Forever and ever. Ever and amen. amen. And yep. in some that's in some places and it's not. But I think that depends on what manuscript it's pulled from, because there's a couple different sources of manuscripts right. that... It's the Masoretic text and the Dead Sea Scrolls. I think that's the two. Then even if you're going into, yeah. I'm not going to nerd out on that. That's going to be a whole Because one, I might be wrong on what I'm quoting, but two, also, that's not what we're here to talk yeah, about. Yeah, that would be a whole other conversation. So, But that is sometimes where there's differences in yeah. texts because we have a couple different manuscripts. Some of them are later, some of them are newer, and it's not necessarily like, well, how do we trust it then? Because like, anyways, that can be for another. <laughs> we'll save that for a later episode of the podcast. How yeah. do you trust the Bible? Our Father. So it starts off there with Our Father. And uh, to me, that's such a cool thing. It's the intimacy. It's the relationship. It's even the idea that like we now have a real relationship with God. And whereas a lot of people with false gods, there's not that kind of like relationship where it's like family. And the concept of who Jesus is and what he did was to reconcile us back to God, to bring us back into the family. And out the gate, Jesus is saying, Our Father. He is our Father. He's a good Father. And I, I think that goes a long way for people who even may have not had a great relationship with their own father, that here we can have a great relation, relationship with our Heavenly Father. And honestly, pointing on that is God is, when it says, hallowed be your name, holy is your name, completely separate is your name, everything about you. Uh, that is a big thing that even if you have a good father here on earth, God is an even better father. Right. And just how it is that we relate to him. I mean... Just as guys, sometimes it's hard to, you know, talk to your dad or, you know, talk to whatever. And I just feel like learning how to speak to your father is, it's an interesting thing. But it's, again, it's a learn something that we take on. Even the idea, so we, we got the father, it's putting Jesus in, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. It starts talking about God. And I think that's where we struggle. And this is something I've been practicing since I started studying for the podcast is, Starting my prayer on who God is first. So talking about the things that he's done for me or who he is in my life, putting my idea back on who God is, because I think we struggle when we forget who God is. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is kind of giving us the map of like, hey, start with who God is in your prayer. Start talking about what he's done in your life. Even if it is the like, hey, God of the universe, you know, when you put it in that vastness, Right. The God who controls everything. Think about what needs to be done for our planet to just rotate and spin so we can be alive. That if we're off by the slightest little bit in where we're centered, we'll either freeze or burn. Right. (laughs) And he's that God. And then personalize it even more. The God who woke me up and gave me breath. But when we forget what God, who God is, that's where we get into problems. And that's where I have the problem. When I forget who God is, then, you know, as Jesus is going to later get into like anxiety issues and stuff like that or worrying about things, I worry because I forgot who God is. And starting it here is the reminder like, hey, get your eyes on God first before you go anywhere else. I'm with you on that and remembering who God is, but then specifically how Jesus lays it out because God definitely is the creator. You know, that's abundantly clear. But when he brings in the Our Father, so it's not only who God is, but how we relate to right. him. 
that it's not, I mean, remember, they're under Roman rule. This is back Greek philosophers, all that stuff. And there's a big concept there that, hey, God just basically set this thing in motion. There's no interaction going on. And, you know, whatever this God may be, that's how this thing happened. Uh, it was one view. But no, it's like, no, our father, which is then unique because we know that Jesus is the only begotten son. So we can look at him like, oh, Jesus is separate. But he's saying, no, our father. Mm -hmm. And it's really that redemptive story that Jesus is living out and telling throughout his whole life that, no, 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 he is your heavenly father. You are his children. You are his family. So he's teaching us in this prayer, relate to him on that aspect. I think that definitely with the hallowed be your name to come in with, wow, you are the God of the universe. Like everything is, you know, it's very, we should be awestruck by God. Yes. And it's putting in the, I think, what is, the, is it the Psalms, the beginning of knowledge is fear or something of God? Fear of God is the beginning, beginning of wisdom. Wisdom. And a lot of times, like for me, I, I think of the idea of fear of like being afraid, but biblically fear is awe. Like when I I am in awe of who God is and being awestruck of what he's done in my life and starting off my prayer in awe of who he is and that kind of righteous fear is probably the best way to start because then you're, you're like we're, you're saying our relationship with him, but I'm also prioritizing where he is to where I'm at. So if he's the father and I'm the son, then he has that mantle of, of uh, you know, up here and I'm down here, kind of like my kids when they come to me and they want something. They're going to ask me because in this situation, they know that they're the, the child and I'm the father who can give and help them out and provide for them. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I also think that here, again, just this intro, all that we said was two lines of it, right? But really, when you start a prayer, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That sounds really religious. Mm -hmm. That sounds really like it can get into just all of that kind of a talk that we don't normally talk like. And again, that I really think we should learn to talk like that. In our relation with God, not that we need to use old English words from like the King James Bible and all this stuff, because like, you know, we don't need to learn that language, but learn the proper language to relate with God. But then also to make it so normal, I know that I've been at times around Christians that when somebody starts praying and really starts coming before God in these ways, it's almost like sometimes some Christians can be like, man, this guy's going to pray for a long time. <laughs> And he's talking about all this stuff like that's not what it should be about. Mm -hmm. And it's like, whoa, 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 take that. Stop it. Like, no, don't keep going with that thought process. It's not about praying and putting on a show for other people who are around. It's about let's really recognize that God is real. You are coming into his presence. Act appropriately. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like that. We don't have to start adding the these thous and, and everything into our prayer. I was at a wedding one time and the father went to pray for the daughter and they, these people lived in like the apartment complex me and Justine lived in. So we talked to the dad on a regular basis and it was one of Justine's friends. And we went to the wedding and the guy, normal conversation. And then it was like, okay, let's pray for the food. And it was our father who is in heaven, who is the righteous one, who is it? And it was like, whoa, where did this language or what happened to you? That's not how you would normally talk to God or normally talk in general. Uh, so I thought it was funny that he started adding all that, like these thous and made it seem like he was like reading Shakespeare while he was praying, but coming to God with our words, our words of admiration and honor, and knowing that his name is the hallowed, honored, to be holy, set apart in our life. And when I looked at that, even that term, hallowed be your name, the honor uh, that kind of comes to it, like it's defined, defining honor to God, then I personalized it beyond just prayer. When I don't live the way I should, am I honoring God? 
Am I honoring his name if I'm walking out there calling myself a Christian, but then not doing the things I'm supposed to be doing? Am I honoring the Father's name? Right. And, and it's just such a cool concept that this is where Jesus kind of gets the gets the ball rolling with prayer. Man, we might turn this into two episodes because you're saying stuff and it's hallowed be his name. And again, that he's our father. And what we got to realize, too, is that this is such an honor and shame culture. Is that the last thing that you would ever want to do is bring shame upon your family's name mm-hmm. to bring shame to your father. And yeah, by the way that you live you should be honoring him. But then even when you come before your father, I mean, we live in America and I kind of like how relaxed things are. Like, I like having the relationship with my daughter that I do, that we are really on the friends level kind of thing. Like, I'm still a parent, but the way that we can communicate, I'm not putting all these extra barriers on how like she has to be. But I also think that I've lost something as far as what the respect and what the honor is due. And like our culture has kind of lost some of that here in America. And coming before God and really saying, holy be your name, like you are entirely set apart. I do think that we need to learn some of that respect and act accordingly. Like we're not just storming into the throne room, like, well, you love me. You forgave me. Here I am. Mm -hmm. Do what I want now. (laughs) Like, whoa, that's a scary way of approaching God. It is. It's it's kind of, we turn God into our, like uh, a lot of people said this, we turn God into our genie. And when I turn him into my genie instead of my God, then what I do there is he does what I want and beckons at my command. And where Jesus is setting this up, yes, we're coming into the very presence of God. And what I saw this, and I was going to save it for the end, but forget it. It's, we're already here. It's Jesus is showing us how God communicated with God. Mm. And here he is. It's God communicating with God. And what is God doing? God is putting God above everything else. You are Father. You are in heaven. You're above who I am. Your name is holy. It is set apart. And I need to live in such a manner as to reflect how it is set apart. And even the way I come to you needs to show that. So it, it's, it is crazy that that is kind of where we stand at, that we, we don't really approach God in this level. He is more of like, God, I want this. God, I need this. God, this is happening, so I don't like it. Can you fix this? And even in the way I'm saying it, I could hear the like non-respect in my voice, you know? Yeah. And it is so hard because God is so loving and we can experience that to such an extent that to be able to come and just really be ourselves and just be able to be vulnerable and just speak from a spot, like, I think that that's fine. But then I also think that at times I've had to come and just pray and basically lay prostrate on the ground, lay down and be like, this is terrifying. I am not only am I just an insignificant being comparatively, but like when it comes to holiness, like I am like I can try and excuse away my sin and be like, well, I'm not as bad as other people. But it's like, man, what a wretched state for somebody to be, you know, Mm -hmm. there was like, am am I really just going to come in like a filthy mess of a person come into God's holy throne room? As if I'm not like some bum off of the street. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's kind of both of those in being to hold those in tension together. That he is the loving father. But we are also like, what is man that you, you yeah. know, would acknowledge him? Like, whoa. I still, uh, I think I told you on Wednesday when we were talking, I still have these moments when I leave church or if I've helped someone or talked to someone where I'm driving away going, God, why do you use me still? Like, why are you using me? Because 
it just that that holy presence who he is who i am that knocks me sometimes to where i'm like i don't deserve what you're giving me and i think of and i'll wrap up with this so we'll go into our our first or our commercial break after this little thing but i think of job and his story and his life and job spends chapters of like god what's happening why did you take away my children you took away all my possessions i know i didn't sin i know i've lived a righteous life and then you left me with with my wife who's basically told me to curse you and die so the one person i kind of don't like in this moment you left me with her and god comes in in the last four chapters of job i think four chapters and he just says were you there when I created the universe? Were you there when I did this? Were you there when I separated the sea and the land or put the stars in their place and told this one to shine and this one not to? Were you there when I did all this? Job, you don't know who God is in your life, and that's what I'm trying to get your attention on. Right. And, and I, I really like that because for me, the book of Job has been a struggle of like, why did you do this to poor Job? Oh, it was to get his eyes to see who God really is. And I think for us coming to God, approaching him in that manner and tone, you are the God who's done all that stuff, really starts changing even how I'm going to go into my prayer after that. Well, so much of it isn't like, well, who am I to come to God like this? It's like, whoa, whoa, you're not even in that line. You're going to him and it's about who he is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's even like, put yourself aside completely. You're coming to God and... Yeah, I think we're ready for that break, huh? Yeah, let's go. Uh, I think it's a Our Daily Bread Bakery commercial, so let's check that out. All right, Judy, here is the rundown for this week's orders. We have the gluten-free birthday cake for Mr. Ross, the cupcakes for Grandparents' Day, and let's make sure that the store is stocked with cookies, macarons, pies, cinnamon rolls, and our fresh bread. You got it, boss. Wait, Mrs. Archuleta. Yes, June? Didn't we want to have donuts in the store this week? That's right, June. That's why you're the best baker out there. So I got the idea to open a daily bread bakery while we're watching baking shows. I thought to myself, it's time there's a local bakery that can meet all your daily baking needs. And with the help of my right-hand man and my top baker, June, we started the daily bread bakery. When Remy approached me about the idea, I was on board, but I had one requirement, that everything we make is slow-baked and tastes with manna from heaven. She said that wouldn't be a problem, so I was on board. And that's how the Daily Bread Bakery was born. Hopefully everyone who has one of our delicious treats leave with their bread and pastry needs met and a smile on their face. for a new podcast to listen to. All the ones I listen to now are pretty boring. There's this new podcast out called Your Church Friends. It's pretty interesting and sometimes funny. I think I heard about that podcast from someone else who said it was good. I think I'm going to check it out. You should, and if you like the podcast, you can also get their website, yourchurchfriends.rocks. It has all their old episodes on their Plus, a link to their shop where you can buy their cool t-shirts for a reasonable price. Wait, are these the same guys who do the 5 Minutes with Your Church Friends videos on YouTube? Yes. Oh good, I'm a subscriber to the channel and already really enjoy those videos. I always make sure to like them, leave a comment, and share them with my friends. Me too. 
Are you also part of their social media accounts, like the Facebook group page? No, but I see the website has a link to that as well. Do you know why it's your church friends that rocks? Yeah, it's because they rocks. Alright, friends, we are back after that small break, and during the break, me and Chris were talking about it, and this is going to be two parts. <laughs> There's too much good stuff in here, so we'll go as much as we can for the second part here, but we will do the second part of the Lord's Prayer next time. This might be too much for one episode. I think uh, I think our foolishness thought we could tackle the Lord's Prayer in an hour time limit. I'm glad that we're going to split it up because there's so much into it. I, I, I mean, we're still talking about honoring God, hallowed be your name. And I've had this question sitting here that I wanted to get to and got distracted with everything else. But the whole idea of honoring God with my life, what do you want to do? Do you want to honor God's name or something else was the question that kind of popped into my head when I was doing my own study for this. And like, do I want to live a life that honors God's name or Chris's name? Yeah, I get worried sometimes. You're like, oh, I have a question because like you didn't prep me for this question. And I'm going to sound No, dumb. this was a personal no, question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's an interesting thing because honestly, at times I feel like if I'm not intentionally seeking to honor God's name, I'm probably not even doing anything that's going to honor my name. And maybe that's just because I'm not really that go-getter type of a person where I want attention on me. But it's more like, if I'm not seeking to honor him, there's probably just shame involved. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not going to be good no matter what. Yeah. It, it opens up so much when you think about hallowed be your name, the honoring of God with our life. And like you were saying, the back then, like the names that people took and they, they had, it just meant so much to have that name. And even for me, like I know if I did something wrong growing up, it wasn't so much that my dad cared that I did something wrong. It was that I made him look bad. And I've told my kids like, hey, I know you're monsters, but if you can make me look like a good parent in public, like if you could behave <laughs> and look presentable in public, then we're cool because people will think I'm a good parent on that end. Yeah, they do good. They're cute. Yeah, like right. They just don't do it at home. But it's the it's that, you know, that honoring my name. And then when I look at that with God and I kind of think the same thing, well, how am I doing that with God? How is my relationship with God that am I honoring him completely with what I do, with what I say and how I act? And even what I don't say, like you said, sometimes if you're not even thinking about honoring God, it's just, it's not good anyways. But it's basically like his name shouldn't be despised by the thoughts or conduct of, of the people he created us. And especially because he created us in his image. Yeah. And with that kind of the honoring his name and bringing that in, there's great work by a author scholar, Carmen Imes. And her thing is about bearing God's name in vain, looking at that commandment and you shall not take his name in vain type of thing. Mm -hmm. And we've turned that so much into like, well, don't use it as a cuss word, right? Right. Don't take and use in vain. But really when you get into the study of it, it's like, no, no, no. Like don't take on his name in a way that's unworthy that you would be called and known by his name. But it was in vain because you aren't even recognizable as being that. You know what I mean? To where, like you're saying, like, oh, you're the dishonorable child type of a thing. Like, mm -hmm. don't take on his name and then live a way that's going to bring dishonor you because you've done it in vain. Like, you're not even part of the family, so to speak. You're not taking part in that fellowship and that relationship. And even looking at it from the Christian side, the power available in the spirit to live a transformed life. Like, oh, you just took it on in vain. I think if even right now it popped in my head because I'm going through like the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and all the fun stuff. And 
Like the rules were so strict with the children of Israel that if someone did something that was contrary to God's rules, it was like, you've got to cut them off from you as a people because they did not honor God's name. Mm -hmm. And again, yeah, it's spot on that we've taken God using God's name in vain or not using it properly as how I speak, words that I say. But yeah, it, I don't think use his name as a cuss word, but like definitely check yeah, your life. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> we're not saying go ahead and start that habit, but but yeah. it's like yeah, check your life because oh, good job, you didn't use it as a cuss word, but look at the rest. Anyways, yeah. I'm gonna move on before I we get stuck here. Yeah, so your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I like that. <laughs> Why? I like that because it differentiates. Oh. We want your kingdom to come here. It is something different. It is your kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom. And we want that to take place here on earth. We want to see earth look more like heaven. Yeah. But in the realization, kind of like hallowed be your name, like that's you are completely outside and separate. So like the way that you rule your kingdom also is. So that's where as the church, as those who believe, Living in this kingdom on earth as it is in heaven should look completely revolutionary as far as what human life looks like on this planet. For me, when I looked at that term, your your kingdom come, what, what Jesus is telling us is that as we pray, that we need to remind ourselves that here on this earth, I should be bringing, me personally, should be bringing the culture of heaven down into our earth. You mean it's not about waiting till I die so I can go to heaven. Right. I should be proactive and bring proactively heaven and bringing heaven down so that the people around us can experience that, that glimpse of what heaven is. And, and for me, if I brought the culture of heaven down, what heaven is, and I brought it culturally down into what we have in our society as a person, then just think of what would change in, in, in the people around us, in the environment around us, the community around us. That is, we as Christians, if we actually brought heaven, heaven culture down and i'm not saying like sunday service sunday service is not heaven culture it's how we act live and represent god and his name that's bringing that culture of love peace and we'll get into it next week forgiveness justice justice, all of that we bring that down how different will the world be and i think that it's great because we kind of just immediately jumped into like, we are to take part in this. But what Jesus is laying out here is, no, 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 pray to your father mm-hmm. that these things would happen because it is his will. It's his kingdom. We're coming and asking to come alongside in his work here on the planet, you know? Because if we get outside of this, if we stop coming to God and saying like, hey, we are just praying that your kingdom would come. If we just run with that task ourselves, pretty soon it might be Murdoch's kingdom. Right. You know, because I'm not checking myself that what I'm really seeking here is God's kingdom. And it's far too easy. I mean, you can look at the history of the church and just see how much of it became man's kingdom. Right. And even praying that way, your kingdom come, bring that down here, bring that, that, that's that whole idea of like, you know, let's pray this, let's bring that down to here. And we could live in a world where racism doesn't exist. We could live in a world where materialism doesn't exist where holding a grudge doesn't exist, but what exists at its core is love and grace. And man, that's a kingdom that I want to be a part of. So yeah, really looking at king, building off what you just said, right? A kingdom has a king, mm-hmm. and Jesus is the king above all kings, the Lord above all lords, and he is the one who is just and righteous without any shadow in him. There's no like, oh no, no, he's really good, but 
there's no but. Mm-hmm. And when we look at that, like you're bringing up love and grace, but also the justice and the righteousness to stand for the oppressed. Yeah. To really come in and see justice done in a real way for that kingdom to come here. You brought up racism and it's just like, dude, look at the mess that this world is in because of the unrighteousness and the unjustness and those who are supposed to be keeping those things where we might look towards governmental powers and different stuff. I'm going to put it out there. They're getting bribed. Yeah. (laughs) You know, those who are supposed to keep the justice aren't. Mm -hmm. Even in the court systems and the different stuff, it's just like, yeah, not that everybody is that way. There still are good people in those positions. But as a whole, our system, our kingdom, our American kingdom isn't the heavenly kingdom. I'll put it that way. Right. And that we should really seek to see the heavenly kingdom take over America. Yeah. And I like that you brought up that uh, every kingdom has a king. And it, it even, it just triggered my thought of like, if if Jesus was really king of my life, and if I'm really praying for kingdom come, for what he, what's up there to come down here, and for that means his, even his presence to come and fill us all. But if my life isn't honoring him, if my life isn't hallowed be your name, then I don't really want that. I'm just saying words. And I think that that's that part, your will be done, Mm -hmm. right? Because why is the kingdom of heaven like that? Because his will is done. So then it's just like, all right, well, we want it here. So your will be done. And what I've learned in life is that I can really only control what I do. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, it's like your will be done in my life. Like you just said, if I'm really submitted to this thing, what does it look like? And that's even, I like that you use that as a smooth transition to get us into your will be done because it is that, right? Like your will be done, praying for hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, then your will be done that I have to then submit to whatever his will is and whatever his authoritative will is in my life. And Jesus here, the the thing I'm really loving about the Sermon on the Mount is that there's nothing here Jesus is saying that he didn't do himself. Mm-hmm. So when he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I go immediately into the garden when he's praying and he's at that moment of like, he knows what he's about to face, the torture, the punishment of the cross, the the pain, not just the physical, but the spiritual separation of the father, the bearing my sins on his shoulders and carrying what everything I would do that's gross, dumb and stupid. And I'm one person, and that's a lot. So then magnify that by everybody who will ever come to existence. And he's staying there, and in the Bible says he was sweating blood. Like, that's how intense this was. God, if you've got another way, Father, if you've got another way, then I'm all for it. But not my will be done, yours be done. And in that submission, then walks out and goes into the whole thing of what I've already described. So he, here he's telling us, pray for the Father's will to be done. And accept what the Father's will is to be done and move forward in it. And I will show you later that this isn't just me saying words. It's a lifestyle and an action. Yeah, exactly. And when you see it played out in Jesus's life like that, and like we were saying that the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, this this prayer that Jesus is giving, like, yes, we can pray this word for word. And, you know, if your heart is in it and the intention you're coming to God, that's a fine, it's a beautiful prayer to pray. But then also when we take it and we're looking at your will be done to really pray and go, God, what is your will in my life? And this is where it's 
paramount and so essential to know scripture mm-hmm. so that you can know what God's will is, what is good and pleasing to him, and that you're praying that those things would be done in your life and that you that he would help you in carrying out those things in the lives of those around you. Because first and foremost, we can just one scripture that popped off of my head, uh, that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So like just knowing that one scripture alone, your will be done. What does he want? He wants me to repent. Mm-hmm. He wants me to turn from my wicked ways. He wants me to confess them, to ask forgiveness. And that's going to be later, right? Forgive us our debts and our trespasses, but to repent and to turn. And that just like Jesus was, he prays here, your will be done. And then he gets put in a situation to where it's like, hey, what is he going to do? Is he going to submit to the father's will and go to the cross? Or is he going to turn another way? And he went to the Father's will. What about when I stop this prayer and then I am faced with the situation of what am I going to do here? Yeah. My will or God's? Because it might not look like going up on a wooden cross and, and dying physically in that way. Although Christian history says sometimes it will. But what is that sin option that you've been given? Because there's something in my flesh that I really want that. <laughs> And if there's a way that I could have it, I would want that, but not my will. Change my will to be more like yours. I like that you really brought that into the sin of like, my will definitely will want everything. Like, so right now I'm trying to cut off uh, some of the caffeine intake I have. So I'm limiting myself to maybe one coffee a day or a cup of tea or something. And then the rest is just going to be drinking water. It's funny that you say that and you come in and I just had a coffee with four shots of espresso in it. Right. And I'm still, I got my, I didn't bring my normal coffee or tea with me. Did you notice uh, that? I did not. I don't um, pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, my will right now is saying, go buy a soda. Go buy a soda. You want the soda, go get the soda. But I know it's not healthy for me. It's not the best thing for, to be in my body. And uh, I, I bringing that illustration back to what you were saying is that my will will want the worst things for me for the most part because my flesh will creep up and it will start wanting those things. But when I pray, I have to say not my will, your will. Because I think sometimes we get this, there's like definitely some different components with will, right? It's, well, what does God will for me in my life? Does he, well, he wants me to be a, a reflection of him we saw that he wants us to be salt and light that's something that we're commanded to do and then we get caught up with the idea of purpose what is my purpose in life what is god's will for me to become something here in this world and then it's also now i like that you brought this up because this is this third category of will is my will of what i desire versus the will of what god wants for me in my life and he doesn't want me to live in a life that's going to hurt, damage, or cause anything to hurt myself or others. And that's namely sin. But I know myself. I mean, if I could, I will eat a pizza all by myself, like a whole large pepperoni pizza. And that's not healthy, you know? Like, I will eat, I will do tons of stuff, but none of it's beneficial for me in my relationship for God, in my own will. Right. And see, but you mentioned all of those things and it's just like, yeah, those are safe things to bring up on the podcast about caffeine and pizza. But what about those things where you're tempted into moral failings? Not that I'm trying to get you to admit it, but I'm putting it out for the audience that it's not just like, was he trying to say that pizza is sin? It's like, well, if you go to how historically gluttony is one of like the major vices and sins and you can get into all kinds of, you know, looking at that. So yeah, maybe the way that you eat 
is a sin. Like, we can put that out there. God had dietary laws, definitely, under mm-hmm. the old, old law. But yeah, looking at the kingdom and then God's will and sin, right? Because in the heavenly kingdom, there is no sin. So part of his will, obviously, is for us to enter into that. And we were just going through Philippians and looking at pushing forward and not that we've yet attained perfection, because I haven't, but I keep striving towards it as if it was something I could have and it's something that I want to have. So it's, yeah, cut out as much sin as possible and uh, for his will to be done. I'll, I'll, uh, I think we could wrap up on this point. We're headed towards like the 20 minute mark. But I, I want to read this because this was part of my studies and I got from a commentary. It said, the purpose of prayer is to glorify God's name and to ask for help to accomplish his will on earth. The prayer begins with God's interests, not ours. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. Robert Law has said, prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done in earth. We have no right to ask God for anything that will dishonor his name, delay his kingdom, or disrupt his will on earth. When I read that, that was one of those things where I was like, man, if I had Twitter, I would be tweeting this out right now. Especially the part of prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven. Because I think a lot of times we do that, right? We pray and it's like, God, I want you to do this. And that's getting my will done in heaven. But what it is, it's for getting God's will done here on earth. Right. And that's our kind of bringing together that our will and his will, we, our will should become looking, our will should start to look more and more like his, Mm -hmm. that when we're praying, your will be done. And then we're looking at, well, what is it that we desire? All of a sudden we can start praying for those things that he wants to provide, right? He wants to provide everything for a life of godliness. He wants us to be wise. He wants us to be virtuous. He wants us to be loving, wants us to be patient and, you know, all those things. And So when we start praying for those things, those are definitely within his will, you know, versus all of the other ridiculous stuff that we could pray for. But I know that we're getting towards the end, but I'm going to keep talking, Um, (laughs) which we kind of went into your will be done on the repentance side. But when we get back to Jesus has redeemed the world for God and that we're praying that his kingdom would come and that we should see God's will flourish here on the earth. I mean, you go back to the original intention of mankind because Christ is the second Adam and we've been reborn into this new humanity is that it was originally be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, work along God in his good purposes here. See every beautiful and good and creative thing. And, you know, it gets back to that. It's not just about, hey, your will be done. Let's get everyone to stop sinning. It's like, do you know how amazing this world would be? If we were actually had the unity in the spirit, if we actually had the love of Christ for one another, if we were all coming to our one father, realizing that we are all his children and that we've been redeemed and given the power to live this new life together. Like, man, if you think that the marvels that we've been able to accomplish as a human race so far, like that's in the midst of us killing millions upon millions of people every like year. What happens when that stops? Like, this planet could be amazing. So it's also, for me, I'm always trying to see that side too. Just like, what good things can I take part in that's part of the building up, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's easy to forget when you just feel like you're getting smacked down all the time, you know, about the sin aspect. But it's like, I've learned that in my own life, I'm much less likely to fall when I'm actively engaged in the building of the kingdom. I think praying improperly 
because you said we forget. I think praying improperly leads us to forget that that's the purpose or reason for why we exist, what we can accomplish through love and unity. And when we pray wrongly, when we pray for my wants, my wants, my things, my needs of all about me, and that's all I'm going to God for, we lose perspective of his will and his kingdom in our life. And that's James, right? He says, first off, you don't have it because you're not asking. But then when you do ask, you're asking to spend it on your own pleasures. It's like you don't even understand why you should be coming to God and asking him for things. Like it's all about you Mm -hmm. still. It's like, that's why. I actually had that pulled up and I was going to bring it up. It's uh, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Uh, Don't they come from the evil desires that are war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And then verse 4, you adulterers. You know, like, I love James. He's just straight up in your face. He's going to tell you how it is. But there it is that, that you want, you want, you want you this, and then you go after other people. And tear them down, but you don't get it because you don't come to the Father. He doesn't answer you because your motives are all wrong. Because you only want something that's going to pleasure yourself. I had this written down, and I'll even say it next week too, but it's just such a cool thing to think about. Is that maybe the reason God doesn't answer prayers is because He knows He'll never hear from you again. Ouch. Right? Because once you get what you want, why are you going to go back to Him? Which is hard because that's such a mindset thing because Mm -hmm. it's like, man, if I come and I'm asking him for something and he provides for me, I'm going to go back out of gratefulness, out of just like, wow, you provided. And I think that there's actually a story uh, in Jesus's life to where there is, was it 12 people? Uh, 10 lepers. 10 lepers? 10 or 12 lepers. There were some lepers. Jesus healed them and all of them left, but one of them Mm. came back to show gratitude and yeah, so I, with what you just said, would God ever hear from you again? Well, not from nine of them. Yeah, exactly. They Nine of them came with a request and a want, right? And, and out of goodness, he provided. Or 10 of them. And out of goodness, he provided and took care of them. Only one came back. And I think it was because that one, and I, I mean, I'm just going to speak on what I see and understand. I, there's no actual evidence for this. This but is your opinion on the My opinion on the matter. He came back because his perspective of who God is, who Jesus was, was correct. And it all starts off when Jesus is laying this out. Your perspective of who God is, his kingdom, his will, that has to be first. Before you get into anything else, before we get into the next part, our daily bread, forgiving others, forgiving ourselves, and all that, lead us not into temptation. Before we get into that part, it has to start with God. So I don't know if you got anything else. If not, we could wrap this one up. Yeah, I was just going to say, I know leaving this, we only got partway through this, but my recommendation, my desire is that for anybody hearing this, one, start praying because there's a chance that you might not be praying. Mm-hmm. Maybe you never started or maybe you fell out of habit. Maybe you are praying. Just pray more. And then just with all of this in, in mind, like I know that we're talking about, oh, coming to God incorrectly and all this stuff. Don't let a fear of that get in your way, but really... Come before him and for as much as you humanly can, come in the adoration, the admiration, the awe, the honor of who God is and spend some time in that place and let that transform yeah. you. 
and spend time there. And then when it comes to, you know, his will, go, okay, you are amazing. I am here to serve you for your good pleasure, to bring honor and glory to you, God. What does that look like? Teach me, show me, which for that, you're probably going to start needing to read your Bible and putting it in practice too. But as far as the prayer life goes, really start praying and start praying more. And I think that on the adoration, admiration aspect, just spend time in that because he is the only one who is worthy of our praise. Yeah. Darn it. You made me think of something else. All right. I'll end with this. A dwell in his presence. When you're talking, that's all I could think about is when the admiration stuff just dwell in his presence. I think we don't do that enough. And because we don't do that enough, we lose sight of who he is. But just dwell in that presence of who God is. Pray about who he is and sit there and just reflect on that. Because then if you want his kingdom to come when you're in his presence, that you become part of that kingdom. If you want his will to be done on this earth, in his presence, you'll understand what his will is. Uh, so I'm going to stop. We could pick yeah. up on this. We are pastors. We have ended this thing four, four times. times. <laughs> uh, so typical type thing. Anyways, I am Chris. And I'm Murdoch. And thank you for listening. We are your church friends. Cool. <laughs> yeah. But it's good. Like, I was like, coming this fall to GCTV, it's Jesus Christ, agent of justice. Thursday nights finally have a defense attorney who can carry the weight of the world. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you know the law, so you decide, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Let me ask you all something. If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? So, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. I rest my case. When no one else will defend you, he will pick up your case. Can you please tell me whose portrait is on the denarius? I really can't see too well. Can you please answer the question, whose portrait is on the denarius? It's, it's, it's Caesar's. (laughs) Let it be known that the witness said it was Caesar's. So, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When the cost is too much, you won't have to worry because he can pay the price. You want the truth? I am the truth. Tune in every Thursday night at 9 p.m. on GCTV for Jesus Christ, Agent of Justice. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it.